Good morning. So good to see you. I love that word hallelujah. You know, when you say that, you're speaking Hebrew. It's the second person plural imperative. So if I want all of ye to say praise, then I put that in the second person plural, and I say hallelujah. See? Praise, all of you. Hallelujah. And then Yah is the short form of Yahweh. So praise Yah. Hallelujah. Yah. Got it? Isn't that fun? Kind of cool. You didn't know that you were speaking Hebrew. But you are. You are a Hebrew singing people. Thank you for your prayers and encouragement, your cards and phone calls. I'm grateful for you and our pastoral staff, Tim, Stephen, Corey, and the admirable job that they did in taking my place and bringing us encouragement and challenge from God's Word these past weeks. It was only at the end of this last week that I felt some wind in my, in my sails. I just did not have stamina of any kind, and that doesn't mean I didn't know power. You don't have to feel the power of God to step out in faith and do the right things that you know you need to be doing, and he gives you that strength. But it's nice to wake up in the mor morning and just feel some energy, and like you got some stamina to make it through the day. So uh, thank you, thank you very much for your prayers. And it's, uh, it's good to be here uh, this morning. This is Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday. We call it Palm Sunday because of the fronds and branches in which they, they celebrated their entrance to Jerusalem, the pilgrims making their way into Jerusalem for what we could call Holy Week or the Feast of Weeks, which would lead up to Passover, which in this year would have been Friday, and then the Sabbath on Saturday, and then the first day of the week we call Monday, but it was Sunday. And as, they, as the pilgrims made their way from all over into Jerusalem, this would have been a Monday. See? The day before was Sabbath, no activity, no traveling, rest, rejuvenation, family. But on the next day, this day, the day we're going to be looking at in Matthew 21, pilgrims were making their way, and they, they sang psalms, psalms that are in your Bible. Uh, 120 to 34, something. There's, those are psalms of ascent because they're going up to Jerusalem, the holy city. And Jesus joins the pilgrims, and that's where we pick it up. He would have come from Jericho, which is 800 feet below sea level, the lowest city in the world, outside of hell. 
Jericho, 800 feet below sea level, he would have made his way to Jerusalem up to Bethany and Bethpage, which is on the Mount of Olives, at a height of around 2,600 feet. The highest peak on the Mount of Olives is 2,700 feet. And then from there, he would have descended into the Valley of Kidron and then made his way back up into Jerusalem. But that's quite a elevation gain of almost 3,000 feet from Jericho to uh, Bethpage, and that's where we find him in Matthew chapter 21 with his disciples. Let's read it together, verse 1. When they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, which was right next door to Bethany, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them. And he will send them at once. Then Matthew tells us uh, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, and this is from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 and 10, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks. And Jesus sat on the cloaks. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David which would be the Messiah. Hosanna to the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Most Bibles have subject headings. I'll bet your Bible has a subject heading. And almost all Bibles have the same subject heading here, the triumphal entry. The triumphal entry. These are the headings, not of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the recognized authors of our Gospels. These headings are provided by the editors and publishers of our Bibles. There was a message that Jesus was communicating, and it wasn't revealed by the heading. It was revealed by his actions. Jesus arranges this. 
Jesus makes arrangements to enter Jerusalem on a donkey. Now, there are some pretty famous donkeys. And in my reading, and in the last few years, I've spent a great deal of spare and extra time reading uh, ancient Greek and Roman writings, and you read a lot about donkeys. In fact, there are entire books in which a donkey is the star of the book. But by and large, donkeys in Greek and Roman literature are made fun of, and they are a joke and ridiculed. In fact, even Pegasus, can you imagine? Pegasus, that mighty steed with wings, can you imagine that as a donkey? Need I say more? There is a donkey in the Bible, a famous donkey, in Numbers 22. In fact, verse 30, the donkey speaks. We don't know that donkey's name. The donkey, though, is owned by Balaam, and he speaks to Balaam because the Lord empowers him to speak. There are lots of donkeys that we know about going all the way back to mention in the Iliad of Homer, for example. But there is no donkey more famous than this donkey. Even the donkey of Christmas card fame that carried pregnant Mary to Bethlehem at the side of Joseph is only famous because of this donkey. And this donkey is only famous because of Jesus. And Jesus is only famous because he rose from the dead. He was crucified a criminal among criminals. He would have died unknown. A prophet failed. We know Jesus because he rose from the dead. And because we know Jesus, we know this donkey. And because we know this donkey, we know the heart and the spirit of our Savior, the Messiah, our King. Because of the resurrection, we see Jesus as he really is, who he really is. We see everything clearly. We see this choice of a donkey, this entrance to Jerusalem, illuminating the relevance of an obscure revelation in Zechariah in which God foretells that his anointed one, his kind of king, is humble. And his triumph 
His procession involves mounting a donkey, even as Matthew tells us in verses 4 and 5. The author alerts us to the fact. In John chapter 12, in John's gospel chapter 12, verse 16, John tells us even the disciples didn't understand these things at first. You should note that. Even the disciples didn't understand these things at first. And he continues, it was only after Jesus was glorified. That's the resurrection. It was only after Jesus was glorified they remembered that these things had been written. In fact, if it was so well known, Matthew wouldn't have had to insert his own commentary to make sure we understood what Jesus was doing as he embodied in contemporary circumstances as pilgrims were making their way to the holy temple to observe the Feast of Weeks, that week of eating unleavened bread in preparation for the Passover, the great redemptive event of God in the history of his people that formed his people, that called his people out of the Exodus, out of Egypt through the Exodus. That event is being observed. And in that event, they set a place for Elijah. They set a place for a visitor because they long for the Messiah to come. And these pilgrims going up to Jerusalem, they're celebrating the idea that God will bring a Messiah. And riding with them on a donkey is their Messiah. And it went in so many ways unnoticed. I read an academic paper in the Journal of Animals. There is a journal, a, an academic journal, I mean, these are scholarly writings, and it's called Animals. I love that. This edition was from 2011, and the author submitted an article, and this is the title of the article, The, Miracle has, the Mirror Has Two Faces, Contradictory Reflections of Donkeys in Western Literature from Lucius, It's a famous writing in 160 A.D., around 160 A.D., by Apuleius, or Apuleius about a man named Lucius who's turned into a donkey. Very famous. So it's from Lucius all the way to Balthazar, which is from a French, mo it's a French movie, about a donkey named Balthazar in 1966. So in that span of time, 
This author surveys literature, writings, the way donkeys are viewed and depicted. And I want you to understand, donkeys in the Greco-Roman tradition and down are ridiculed, made the object of jokes. And some of it is pretty funny. And donkeys can be pretty funny. Uh, let me just give you a picture of a... Uh, let me wait a second on that. What this article emphasizes is that it isn't until Jesus rides a donkey as he's entering Jerusalem that there is a shift in the history of literature. There is a shift in the way donkeys are depicted. Not uniformly, not completely, but there is a new wind, a new wave of seeing donkeys as a symbol a Christ figure symbol of humility. There's a nobility that is contributed to the way donkeys are viewed because Jesus rode a donkey. And why would that happen? Because Jesus was raised from the dead. He who was raised from the dead, we see clearly. He is God incarnate. He's the fulfillment. He's the object of the praise of Philippians 2. He who was equal with God, who divested himself of all of his advantage and power, emptied himself, identified completely in humanness, and then beyond that even went beyond taking the form of a slave, which was often the animal the human equivalent of the animal slave, the donkey, and even obedience unto death. That's humility. That's humility. There was a nobility because of who Jesus is when he got on that donkey that changed the way people see donkeys. The author writes, this donkey, patiently bearing harsh abuse, as well as the physical burdens placed upon them, is often represented as a Christ-like figure. This is reinforced by Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, one of the most enduring Christian symbols in Western culture. We call it the triumphal procession, but Jesus takes the path of humility. The donkey symbolizes it. And even more, it's symbolized as an act of great humility because of whom we later know is Jesus himself, God incarnate, who humbled himself, seated on a donkey, makes his way into Jerusalem in fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9 verses 9 and 10. We, here's something I really want you to appreciate. And, you know, concealed in me, um, 
is, is a message that's more important than that which my appearance may draw that interest, that attention. But what I want to share with you now is very important. We can't see humility unless we see power and advantage concealed. We can't see humility unless we see, unless we see power and advantage concealed. We, if we know someone is a superior, and that superior does things that no superior with greater power and greater advantage, if that superior does things that are not associated with their superiority when they could ask of us to serve us because of their superiority and advantage, when they set that advantage aside, when they put that superiority aside, when they divest themselves of that power and they serve us as though they are a peer, in fact, as a servant, then we see humility, right? We say, that's humility. That's highness acting in lowness. That's superiority submitting and acting in inferiority. But we don't know that if we don't know that person to be superior with power and advantage, do we? Humility is always, always a divestment, that is, a shedding, a setting aside, a letting go of power and advantage. Whether it's in a home, in personal relationships, in a business, in a work situation, in a football team, or scrimmage situation, in every situation there is notes of superiority and inferiority and humility is always a divesting of superiority and power even if it's just in your head we did not realize who it was on that donkey until he rose from the dead But he still got on that donkey. He didn't do it because he expected or wanted fanfare. He was fulfilling the role of Zechariah, nine of the king, of God's appointment, a prophetic expectation of the true Messiah who humble rides on a donkey. Humble, the word ani in Hebrew is used of poor, destitute people. When it's applied to somebody of power and advantage, they are not poor and destitute. They assume a position, a 
attitude, an approach of someone poor and destitute. It's called humility. Humility of mind, humility of heart, humility of words and actions. And all of that is symbolized in Zechariah by a donkey. Combined with the message in word, humble, lowly, poor of spirit. Just as Jesus called the blessed to in the Sermon on the Mount, those who see God, those who thirst for righteousness, the poor in spirit, the humble, the lowly, the meek. They who divest themselves of advantage and power because of something more, something greater than that very power and advantage. We can't see humility unless we see power and advantage concealed, set aside, unmasked, when the lowly are discovered to have the greater power. Only then is it realized that humility is in the service of others, that the choice of humility is an act of grace and love. The resurrection revealed that. The resurrection revealed that. The resurrection revealed that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of all of the aspirations and history of his people in the Old Testament and God's vision and plan for the future. And it's sealed in our hearts. It's sealed in history in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without that resurrection, we wouldn't know who it is that mounts this donkey. And if our king, our Messiah, rides a donkey, this is more than symbolism. We are not to ride after him, beside him, on stallions, on high horses. We are to dismount and ride a donkey with him. This is an enduring symbol of the very humility of God. The true nature of his kingship and his Messiah. And the nature and the true character of his people. We are to be a people who ride donkeys. We are to be a people of humility. This world will not encourage it. This world will not elevate this idea. Listen, this is not something that I have found in Jude, buried in a corner of the little book of Jude that very few people, how many of you have ever read Jude? A few, less than half. This is not just 
one verse that I've heard some people build entire doctrines on, which is foolish. No, what I'm talking about here is the very heart and soul of the New Testament, heart and soul of the gospel, because it is the heart and soul of Jesus Christ, which is the heart and soul of God our Creator. This is not something for the elite. This is not something just for the special crack troops of God. This is for everyone who is a member of the kingdom of God, which Jesus Christ himself brought and was the heart of his proclamation. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe in the good news. Repent from what? Repent from all of the ways in which you are being totally sucked into the culture and values of this world. And Jesus went on to show us what that kingdom is like, and that kingdom is the inheritance of the church on earth until Jesus comes again. We are to be a humble people. We are to be a people who ride donkeys, not stallions. We've got to dismount, get off our high horses, and ride a donkey. And so, yes, that's my point. Get a donkey. <laughs> I thought, well, what's more memorable? Just get a donkey. Now, I don't, don't show up to church pulling the rein of a donkey if you can get it to come with you. In disposition, in heart. If you have to go someplace, get on your donkey, especially when you drive in a car. Right? It's all the other people who are donkeys, right? Because we're on our high horse. We're not on a donkey. In your personal relationships with your children or with your parents or with your friends or the people that threaten you, we're always wanting to be seen on a stallion on a high horse, powerful. Get on a donkey. With your husband or your wife, girlfriend or boyfriend, mother or father, coworker, boss, or those who are your clients, in each and every situation, just think of the difference. If, if going up to Jerusalem for us was something beautiful and holy because Jesus did it. And he commanded that place of great prominence in our hearts. And each and every day, not just once, but many times, we took the position that we're going to get on a donkey. You may think that's frightening, but I want you to understand that that turns the world around that turns relationships around, it turns families around. And the power that you have when you get on a donkey is not your power, 
It's the power of him who first got on that donkey. It's the power of God himself. That's the picture that we have here. I want to share with you um, here's some, quickly, by the way, here are some donkeys. I took these pictures in Israel. And uh, with these boys on donkeys, um, yeah, there they are. Was a foal, a uh, colt, just like the one that Jesus hadn't been broken. Nobody had ever ridden on it. And this is the, nobody had ridden on this one yet. And this is the kind of donkey that Jesus entered Jerusalem. Great leaders don't ride donkeys. They ride stallions. The leaders of the greatest countries, the biggest countries, the most powerful countries, the countries that wield atomic weapons, they ride stallions. They have at their fingertips, at the tone of their voice, the command of their hands, Weapons that we can't even imagine. Weapons of mass destruction. Weapons of death. They ride stallions, bare-breasted. Jesus, who had greater power, more power than a thousand thousand atomic H-bombs, the resurrection from the dead. There's your power. And it's divested and revealed as the humility of the heart of God when Jesus gets on that donkey. We've got to get donkeys and we've got to ride them with Jesus Christ in our lives because we are to be a people of humility, the prince of peace. If you read, if you read Zechariah, verse 9, it will depict Jesus, and then verse 10, the person will change, and God himself speaks in the first person, I, and the weapons of warfare, he will command. Only the king will not command those weapons. He will pronounce peace. God himself is the warrior in holy war. And yet we want to take up arms ourselves. We get angry when we're watching international affairs over how things are being handled. Are we so concerned in our own homes, in our business ventures, in the justice and salvation of our own lives? That's what Jesus, humble, riding on a donkey brings, justice, righteousness, and salvation. We are instruments of his Messiahship. You know, it's interesting that Pilate probably entered Jerusalem at the same time Jesus did, the first day of the week, the beginning of the week of Passover, I, I can only quickly say, in a show of great power and force, in which 
people of prestige, the high priest, dignitaries, Pharisees, Sadducees, the common people, as well as connected in business of all sorts, would be out waiting for Pilate and his, likely we know from other sources, a troop of 1,000 foot and horse soldiers marching in regalia, entering the street with the people lined, fronds big in Roman coinage because it was big in their celebration of power and victory. It gives us some sense. Their shields, their breastplates, their headpieces, the, the horses decked out, the colors, the standards, the people raving fronds in a multitude. All the most important people are there waiting for Pilate, not because they love Pilate, but because Rome has all the power. And Rome comes with great power because they don't want any sedition, they don't want any opposition, and there were plenty who didn't like Roman power, so they come out with all of their guns drawn. And at the same time that's happening, coincidentally, Jesus is coming into the city on the east side with a few disciples and pilgrims waving fronds, singing Hosanna, and he's riding on a donkey. Humility is not a demotion, but a promotion, because it uses true power, which is the power of God. Real quickly, humility is dependence on God. That's the first thing that I want to share with you real quickly. It's dependence upon God. It doesn't come because, C.S. Lewis said, I can't remember it exactly, he said, many people, and this is in um, uh, the screw tape letters, Lewis is behind it, but the demon says, many people think that humility is pretty women trying to act like they're ugly. Humility is not trying to be something you aren't. Humility is recognizing your true lowliness and depending on the God who is the God of all the power and, and strength for your needs, for your outlook, for your strength. Even when you're sick and you don't have personal stamina, it's through faith. A second thing about true humility as God's power, a second thing beside dependence upon God, it is a turning to God. It is a repentant attitude, the sense that I shouldn't be doing this in my strength, I should be doing it in His. I shouldn't be doing this for my benefit, I should be doing it for His. A third thing is it's following Jesus, our true king. If you don't think he's your Messiah, if you don't think he's the Lord indeed, if he's not the true king, you'll never be inspired to be humble. You'll never be inspired to be something less than the person you want to project 
to the world. You'll never want to put your personality, hopes, and dreams into his hands. But I want you to know that when you follow him, you will find yourself. You'll find true personality. C.S. Lewis said, uh, C.S. Lewis said, if I can find it, uh, he said confident, he said that he found his true personality in entrusting his life to Christ because he wasn't dependent on others to try and shape someone into something that is molded by society and culture, but by depending on the Lord himself. You know what? G.K. Chesterton said, it's always the secure who are humble. You'll never find the security you need unless you're depending on the Lord. And then finally, the fourth thing about humility being the power of God, it's the power of the cross and resurrection. John called it the glorification of Jesus. Jesus referred to it as his glorification. To have confidence in the meaning of the cross and the resurrection, that God reigns, that he is good, that history is in his hands, the the outcome is in his hands, even as Zechariah says. And Jesus fulfills and foretells through his death and resurrection. That is hope and confidence in the present tense is hope. That power shows itself in love. In God's economy, humility is power. And the question becomes, can you see that humility? It takes great trust and dependence to defer to God, to find in him the strength. But it all comes down to the fact that All humility in God unleashes the greatest power, and that is his love. That is his love. What does grace look like? Does it not also look like humility? What does love look like? Does it not also look like kindness? Does it not apply itself in forgiveness or mercy? All of these things... We value as we age because we realize that they should not be taken for granted. They are sourced in people who are willing to think higher and do more for others. Where do you find that power? Sometimes it's concealed by motives of gain. But in Christ, it's concealed in motives of love because we know his greater power enables us to divest ourselves of human advantage and power for something greater than ourselves, which is in really the very work and heart of what God is doing. You are putting your lives into his hands. All right. One last thing. Who raised Jesus from the dead? The Holy Spirit the power of God. 
Jesus Christ was raised by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what did Jesus Christ, when he was seated at the right hand of God, what did he pour out? We're told in Acts, as elsewhere, he was given the privilege of the promise of the Father, which was the Holy Spirit, to pour it out on his people. And what is the fruit? What is, what is the advantage and the power of the Holy Spirit? What does it look like? How does it work? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We are to be a humble people because we unleash the very power of God. Will you stand with me? Get on a donkey. That's all you got to remember. Get on a donkey, but don't just any donkey. The donkey that you remember Jesus riding. Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. You call to us from below us, not above us. You call up to us to come down where you're willing to dwell in all of your power, divested because you love us so much. Help us to fathom that in our lives. Help us to step out in faith. Nothing matters, Paul says, except love, faith working through love. Father, help us to recognize this in our own lives. To your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said,